Welcome into another Chicago's College Tailgate Offseason Preview Podcast. Tyler Rocky and Shay Norling. We are the hosts of CCT. We'll be with you every single Saturday once the college football season gets rolling, but we got to break everything that's going down in each of the Power Five conferences. If you missed us, we talked a lot of Big Ten football last week on the show. So check that out wherever you get Chicago's College Tailgate on the podcast, including the ESPN Chicago app. And today, Shay, we are breaking down the meat and potatoes of college football, and that is the Southeastern Conference, the SEC. Lots of things going on as Georgia looks to three-peat here this upcoming season. It will be a little bit more difficult, lots of turnover on that roster, but when you're Georgia, you replenish, right? You reload the system. There aren't really rebuilding years, but we will get into whether or not they can three-peat and kind of skip through a bunch of the team's throughout the conference as well. But let's start with something that was interesting from SEC Media Day last week. Commissioner Greg Sankey saying that only Congress can resolve NIL issues. I don't think I've heard a single person talk about NIL without the word Wild West attached to it. Like that's (laughs) that's kind of been the the uh, preceding phrase after the 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 phrase that you hear after that every single time. But NIL Congress can be the only one that can resolve this thing. I don't think so. I look, there's a lot of ways that I think you can fix it. Really, there's one way that I think you can fix it. But SEC Media Days got really interesting because you have Sankey saying they need Congress to weigh in and regulate this thing. You've got Lane Kiffin coming out and and basically lighting the sport on fire, talking about the transfer portal and the ability for guys to opt into free agency every single season. Uh, he brought up LeBron James. What if somebody like that? could just every year decide I'm a free agent and I want to go someplace else, no long-term deals. Well, has he watched the NBA? Because that is basically what we're dealing with at this point in that sport. I I get the broader point. Uh, I just think when they're going about it the way that they're going about it, they're a little bit off base in how they approach this as like some sort of uniquely unfair situation in college football. Look, I get... People don't want to see Texas A&M or Miami buying their squads every year like they have the past couple, whether it worked out for them or not. Uh, But the the approach has to change a little bit. Uh, I do think it needs some sort of regulation. The ideas I have that would work would never be employed actually by the NCAA. And I think that's where there's a problem because – you're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. Like Sankey talks about this, like we got to get rid of it altogether. Almost Congress needs to step up. No and say, chance. Student athletes are students. The, the toothpaste is out of the tube. We're not doing that again. There are fixes. I can get into some of them, but whether or not they'd be willing to adopt what they would have to do remains to be seen and opting for Congress to step in and do this. I don't know if that's the answer. Like what, What do you think realistically needs to happen with NIL? Personally, I don't even view it as a huge problem the way most people do. Tyler, like college football has always been a sport of haves and have nots. It's always been, you know, Bama, Michigan, Ohio State. It's just all above board now, right? Like you see what's going on. You see the way that some of these players are going to schools. And I think that when you see some of these coaches, maybe they're just frustrated that other coaches are a little more creative, right? Like they're just frustrated that someone else is a little bit better. Someone else has a little bit richer donor and booster to a part of their school. Like 
that's just the nature of the beast, right? Like, who knows? Maybe the best way to, to pump out college football uh, programs and, and create a great college football program is, hey, you know what? Why don't we focus on our tech department at the university? Then that guy turns into the next Matt Ishbia, and then he can pump a bunch of money in the football <laughs> program, right? Like, maybe that's the way to do it. Well, I always think like Saban, the greatest coach in the history of the sport, also becoming the great complainer, talking about the playoff selection committee and Alabama mm -hmm. missing last year. Here's an idea. Don't lose two games. Uh, but he's constantly complaining about the NIL and about all these new things, the portal coming into play in this sport. Saban has been the biggest beneficiary of the portal to this point. He brought Jameer Gibbs into his program. Yeah. Like, you have long been the biggest beneficiary of boosters, donors, transfers, all of it. I've long believed the biggest problem with a lot of these coaches who come out of the woodwork to act like suddenly the landscape has shifted into some unrecognizable thing. You're just mad that the rules you've been bending for years are now above board and schools like Texas A&M, schools like Miami, schools like Tennessee have the ability to get involved and level the playing field a little bit. Like, I, I get that the NIL is not going to create some massive parity in college football. It's never going to be a parity sport. It'll always be three, four, five teams at the top, and then a lot of teams maybe to the 12 range that could potentially contend on any given Saturday. But this really has always been Alabama, Ohio State, Michigan, now Georgia. It's always been power brokers, USC back in the day, Texas, it's never been the little guy. And I think when you have the NIL and you have powerful boosters who are willing to invest, you brought up Matt Ishbia. If things go right, this actually does present a more level playing field for some of the middle tier schools, like in Oregon, like a, a Tennessee's a great example, Mississippi, who Lane Kiffin benefits from, even though he's mm -hmm. speaking out about this. Some of those schools can actually come up to the forefront again. Arkansas, another good example of a school that can get a little bit of an influx. And I, I think there's a fear that, like, it, Coach K is another good example. We've been bending these rules for so long, but now everybody has access to what we were doing in secret. We have a problem with that. Right. I think another thing, too, is, like, you think about NIL. I think the programs that it hurts – are any schools located in a major city that has to compete with professional sports? And I right. think it applies largely to more college basketball than it does to college football because the Big East, you see those scattered through a lot of the, the big cities throughout the, the country. But like, I would say maybe it hurts UCLA and USC a little bit, but at the end of the day, like those are still prestigious programs. You're going to get NIL money just through boosters, you'd imagine, through that through those sort of channels there. I I don't think NIL has hurt the sport. And maybe it's because it, I'm not in the rat race of it all. I'm not the one having to dial up the booster and say, hey, I need to get this kid. You need to pony up here. Otherwise, we're going to lose out on a generational guy. Like Maybe it's because we're not in the rat race and we're not the ones having to make those calls there. And that's why we don't see it as a big problem. But hey, it's all about adapting, right? Like That's the thing about the way the sport and just college sports in general is going, you have to learn to adapt. Sure. These first couple of years, it's going to be a little bit hairy, but get outside of that. Like Alabama in the long term, 
is going to be the biggest beneficiary of NIL and the transfer portal because of established prestige. You have established prestige. People want to go to Alabama. That is considered a a feather in your cap. If you played football at Alabama, it's not like you're Georgia Tech and you're having to claw for every single sort of transfer there. Alabama, you kind of get to pick and choose (laughs) from the crop there. And, And that's the thing is with the NIL there as well, like, that is their NFL team there. That is what they live for every single weekend down there. That is their printing money hand over fist. The NIL is not going to be a problem down there. It's an endless supply. And the same thing with the ability to get recruits. Like, sure, you're getting outbid by Georgia the last couple of years, but who's won the last two national championships? Georgia Bulldogs. Right. So they're building something there and, uh, like you look at some of these guys that Georgia brings in too, a lot of them are guys who Alabama said no to as well. Like uh, they had offers from Bama, but Bama maybe filled up the position. There was too much competition. Oh, I can go to Georgia. That's where I can start. And they overperformed. They developed those guys. Like the other thing too, is I always find it so disingenuous when you have a guy like Lane Kiffin, who's going to make seven and a half million dollars this year coming out to be like, we have a huge problem that our students are making money. Now, the one thing I you, you really can't have is what happened last year where the season ends and the first day to transfer opens, and within an hour, you've got a 1,000 kids in the portal. I do think that's a problem. Now, they've well, opened this up. That, though. A lot of those kids knew in like October they were transferring. Sure, but – They've opened this up to a point where, again, you're not putting the toothpaste back in the tube. So you want to fix it? Like, here's an idea, and the schools will never go for it. But if they really wanted to fix it, just take student off a student athlete, and let's admit what we have. This is semi-professional sports. When you recruit a kid, you can have them come in and sign a one-year deal, 50 grand. Everybody, Every incoming freshman at a Power 5 school, prestige school, gets a flat rate, 50 grand, whatever you want to do with it. You can sign a one, two, three, four-year deal. If you sign four, you're locked in at whatever you signed for in your freshman year for all four years. You sign one, you can come back and renegotiate the following year, transfer, go do whatever you want to do. The, f- the problem with this is going to be as you see my dog hop up. Well, on what does Stout on the think of NIL? Huh? What does Stout think of the portal? You got uh, thoughts, Stout? The problem with this is going to be schools would have to fit the bill on paying the players' contracts. And you're not going to be able to turn around and go, we're raising our tuition uh, five grand in 2024 because we've got 30 con- scholarship players on the football team that are all making X amount of dollars. It'll never happen. But if you wanted to fix it, take student off. And sign these kids to a, a deal that they can select the number of years. Renegotiate after one if you want, or lock yourself in for four, but you're not leaving and you're not making more money. That's the way to fix it. They just will never spring for it. They'll never spring for it. And I think that actually that could open up some more problems still because you mentioned like a flat 50 grand rate, right? So basically, like tuition is what you're, you're just handing them a tuition check pretty much. Um, that to me, you think about that and okay, you're getting 50 grand here, but all right, we're going to slide you an extra 25 here. We're going to slide you an extra 10 here. Like, I, I think you kind of get back to the fundamental root of why this was so problematic in the first place. 
It's just, it's an imperfect it's system yeah. and everybody wants to fix it and there's no easy way to do it. And anytime you get Congress involved, I think you only make it messier. And honestly, a thousand kids in the portal every year, I, I get it's not ideal and it harms schools that are smaller. You think of Georgia Tech and Jameer Gibbs going, I'm out of here, I'm going to Bama. That's not a great situation. That's not what you want to see every single season. But I do think we're spending a lot of energy trying to solve a problem that might not exist because Lane Kiffin's trying to sell you on an image of college football where it used to be not so offset. That was never a thing. That has never been a thing in this sport. This sport, like the reason Zetterman doesn't watch is because it's all blowouts in the regular season, he says. This has always been haves and have-nots. The landscape has not changed. It's always been Bama at the top. It's always been Georgia chasing them. It's always been LSU and, and all these other schools. They're power brokers in this in this sport. It's just the nature of it. And I feel like we're expending a lot of energy for quote-unquote legalized cheating. Okay, and it's not cheating. Like, if it's legal, it's not cheating. It was cheating yeah. when you were doing it and you weren't getting in trouble for it and other schools weren't able to. Now that everybody's on the same field, it's a problem. I I, I don't view it as the problem that SEC Media Days almost went viral for painting it as, some end-of-the-sport type of deal. I don't think it's that way. No, I'm with you on that. All right, let's get into the actual preview of the SEC, though. That was the news from SEC Media Day. But this is what we're expecting to see on the field this year. And I think it's fitting with Stout in the room. We start with the dogs, the Georgia Bulldogs, the reigning national champions, the two-time reigning national champions, I should say. But you look at most places, they expect a, a Georgia repeat in the SEC coming off of a year. They won the SEC, took down LSU in the title game. We didn't get the, the Georgia-Bama that we had expected all season long. Um, but the Georgia Bulldogs, they lose some major talent on both ends of the ball, including the quarterback Stetson Bennett, including Jalen Carter, Nolan Smith. A lot of people flushed out of the program, but there's still an influx of players that are coming in and that are on that next tier. And you know what? Like you look at the quarterback position, you may be upgrading this season with Carson Beck as likely the next quarterback of the Georgia Bulldogs. Yeah. The, the report I last read was leaving spring practice. It felt like Carson Beck was the front runner. They brought in some transfer wide receivers, Dominic Lovett from Missouri, Ra Ra Thomas from Mississippi state. They still have Brock Bowers as the best tight end in the country. Uh, my question with Georgia really is nobody is, when was the last time there was a three-peat like 1930? Nobody's won three straight, save like the teams that come in and go, we claim we won in 1968. No. F that. That's not real. Nobody's won three outright championships since sometime like pre-World War II. It is difficult. And their schedule, it's not brutally hard, but you've got at Tennessee late in the season. You're on the road in Auburn. You've got the Georgia-Florida, uh, the cocktail party, it, always a question. And then you have to play whoever comes out of the West. Like I almost hesitate to pick against them because they're such heavy favorites and they're clearly the best team in the, in the country. Only bringing back 13 starters. It's not like these are kids who are going to be taxed somehow because they played a longer mm -hmm. season last year. This 
it's just the idea of them repeating three straight times. Kirby Smart slaying the dragon again with Saban if he ends up having to face him. Uh, they almost lost to Ohio State last year. I don't know that they can three-peat, mostly because nobody's ever done it. It's it's really tough to do in college sports. Like I would almost say it's not easy in any sport, but I feel like it would be easier in professional sports because you do, you could put together a core of guys. Like in college sports, you can't really put together a core, especially now with the transfer portal because guys get four years and then they're out. And if you have a team that it has like three peat potential, those guys are probably staying only three years and then they're out because they're going to the NFL. So I, I look at this like I'm with you. It's tough to pick against them because it's just like you look at some of those games last year. How many times did you did people kind of look at Georgia and be like, oh, like this could be the game like the defense is going to keep them in it. But can the offense match what the defense is doing like? Can we get a dominant performance um, offensively? And we started to see as the season progressed more and more of those dominant offensive performances out of Georgia. So I look at this year's team. I think that you've got some critical turnover spots like quarterback turnover, even though you may be improving. That's still an important spot. Now, I guess the nice thing is at a program like Georgia, where you blow so many teams out, Carson Beck played seven games last year, right? right? He appeared in seven games, so he has experience. He, he saw time in the national championship game. So to have that level of, of experience still, even though he's a, a backup type of guy, I think it's it's beneficial so they're not rattled right out of the gate. But getting that first sort of training camp as QB1 is always going to be important. Then how do you replenish yourself defensively? Because a number of those guys, I mean, and just look at the entire Philadelphia De- Eagles defense, right? Like that that seems like it's Georgia's national championship teams the last two seasons. So how do you replenish that is going to be the biggest question. You've got the on paper guys, right? Like five stars, high four stars that are coming in to replenish. But what's it going to look like on the field now? Well, you've got two new tackles, uh, Amarius Mims and Ernest Green. But this is Georgia. So how about they're both... 167, 164. They're both 330 pounds. The pedigree on the offensive line at this school is unbelievable. I'm not too worried about that. I think the biggest thing probably is you break in Mike Bobo as offensive coordinator. Yeah. Say goodbye to Todd Bunkin. He's in Baltimore taking care of things with the Ravens. Does that change the way this offense runs enough that they have to break things in? But Tyler, if you run through the schedule, They open with Tennessee Martin. They're going to be 40-point favorites. Ball State, they're going to be 40-point favorites. South Carolina, like maybe a 30-point, 20-point, 25-point favorite. UAB, your double digits. Auburn on the road, your double digits. Kentucky, your double digits. The point I'm making, they're going to be a double-digit favorite in every game they play except maybe the second to last week of the season at Tennessee. This team should sleepwalk to twelve and zero and be in the SEC title game. Mm-hmm. I'm with you. Like the the way that the schedule sort of sets up with this team, and even though there is a little bit of a a, re, a revamped roster there, it's it's still Georgia. You're you're replenishing with five stars here. Um, it's it's not like you're you're going out and and having to scrap out there for the three star that can maybe pop for your team. So um, if I so Georgia, if I had to, if I gave you Georgia versus the field right now to win the SEC, not the national championship, just the SEC, 
Are you taking the Bulldogs? Against the field? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'd probably take Georgia because I don't I got too many questions about Bama at quarterback, which we'll get to in a minute. I, I would probably take Georgia. If you're talking national title, I'd take the field just because Michigan and Ohio State are both out there. All right. Let's move on to the Alabama Crimson Tide here, who uh, again, faltered a little bit last year, did not make it to the SEC title game, and out comes uh, Bryce Young. He was the number one pick in this year's draft, and you've got a giant quarterback competition right now. In comes the new offensive coordinator, Tommy Reese. He brought along Tyler Buckner with him, one-time Notre Dame quarterback as well, and then you've got uh, Jalen Milrow who got a little bit of action last year when Bryce Young was dealing with some injuries and Ty Simpson also in the mix there at the quarterback battle. It's an interesting one. Um, I'm intrigued to see how this all plays out. And you got to wonder too, with, with Tommy Reese's arrival as the offensive coordinator, like, is he just going to go with the guy he's probably most comfortable with the guy who he'll probably have the fewest growing pains with. And that's Tyler Buckner. Yeah, I think so. I mean, would it surprise you if, if he goes with Milrow, I know that Saban's guy, he's been in the program for a couple years. I'd be shocked if you're bringing Tommy Reese in with a quarterback from that school and you end up going with Jalen Milrow. Like, this feels built to be Tyler Buckner's season, which is interesting because a lot of this offense is returning. It's guys Jalen Milrow played with a lot last year when Bryce Young was hurt who he might have some chemistry with, particularly on the offensive line, is more of a mobile running back. I wonder if it would be a mistake to go with Tyler Buckner. And if we see a little bit more of Bama struggling to get out and put away teams, don't forget, this is a Bama team that scheduled that home-and-home with Texas. They played the Tuscaloosa version of that game this year. That's a game they almost lost against the Texas team. Should have lost. Yeah, against a Texas team where Quinn Ewers died and they're walking, they're rolling out backup quarterbacks. I think they were their third quarterback. Hudson Card got action mm-hmm. in that game. I don't know that this is some far and away better version of Alabama. Nick Saban told you a year ago that it felt like a rebuild year. There are people who will tell you this year looks like a rebuild year again at Alabama. I'm not putting the cart in front of the horse and acting like Bama's going to go out and be great just because. Like, the Texas game scares me. Uh, At Mississippi State, it's a diminished Bulldog team, but that's always a little sketchy. At A&M, where Jimbo is is probably coaching Mm -hmm. for his life with a team that's had close to a billion dollars pumped into it. And they lost last time they were there, too. So I I just – I look at this, and I I don't think that this is a team that's, like, penciled in – to go 12 and 0. I, I feel like the struggles that were there last year might crop up again. This offensive line, too, like last year was one of the most penalized Bama offensive lines I can remember. They just felt undisciplined. And I wonder if we get a little bit more of that. Three of the guys returning, they're bringing back three starters on that line. I don't know that this is going to be vintage Bama. Like, where are you at with them, Tyler? Is this. Year two, it feels difficult to believe Saban could have a two-loss team again. But it, to me, it kind of looks like that. I think that you the way that this Bama team is constructed, if you thought last year was a rebuild, then what the hell is this, right? Like, you had two of the top three picks in the NFL draft, and you're calling right. that a rebuild last year, right? Like, And now you're bringing re- back 10 starters this season. Like, this... 
it, it, it's not a lot of turnover or a lot of carryover from last season. And I don't think that they brought in – it's Bama, so of course they brought in top talent. But if you're comparing them to the rest of the SEC in Georgia, are they on that level? This is one of the worst Bama teams we've seen in, what, the last five, seven years? Like, this feels like the rebuilding team. You've got – you're bringing in a new OC. You've got a quarterback battle. We haven't had one of those really at Bama. I mean, you had, like, the Jalen Hurts versus Tua Tungavailoa quarterback battle for a little bit. But, like, that wasn't – those are two guys that are in the NFL now. Those are guys who have – I mean – the early stages of Tua last season, like he was an MVP candidate. Like you had two MVP candidates in a quarterback battle. I don't know if any of these three guys are going to the NFL, right? Right. And that's no. more like the traditional Bama quarterback that we've saw, what, like seven to 10 years ago. AJ like McCarron, McElroy's right. and McCarron's. Yeah, like those sort of guys. So I'm looking at this Bama team and I feel like this is more of the rebuilding team. You asked me to take Bama or LSU. I'll take the team that's got a little bit of quarterback continuity, and I'll take the team that last year ended up winning this uh, winning this division. So I, I think I would lean LSU over Alabama. This feels like a more true rebuilding Crimson Tide team. I mean, you bring up LSU, like we can just get to that because you've got second-year Brian Kelly, continuity in the coaching department, something you didn't have a year ago. Good news for Bama, you play LSU in Tuscaloosa. You don't have to go on the road to Texas this time. You don't have to go up to Rocky Top. You get Tennessee and Alabama. But they still have that road game against Texas A&M, and the road struggles the past couple seasons have been Mm -hmm. real. And this LSU team was good last year, good enough to finish top 10 in the AP poll. They're better this year. They have the best quarterback in the conference, bar none, in Jaden Daniels, a guy mm-hmm. who's going to the NFL. They've got second season with Brian Kelly. They're bringing back eight starters on offense, seven on defense. It This feels like if Bama's a rebuilding team, this LSU team feels like full speed ahead. Let's go try to win a national title. Yeah, I'm with you. Like, you look at LSU, and oh, by, before we, like, Dive headfirst into LSU. Bama win total set at ten and a half. Man, it's tough because eleven and two gets you the over. But uh, well, well, it doesn't it, count the bowl. Season, so it doesn't count the bowl. So ten and two. Like, what's the juice like last on year? Um, I have to go back and look, but it's. I mean, if I can get plus money on the under, I'd have to take the under. But I figured it'd be juiced more that way. Would, this team could guess, be ten you know. and two again. Yep. Now you got to figure out because they both Listen, games they lost. This on the team road, could be but... nine and three. Like, Boy, it, I don't know if, if I can go can't that figure far. out the quarterback position and you get a, a little tripped up on some of these road games. Like, you don't have the same type of game breakers that you had last year. Can Lane Kiffin come to Tuscaloosa and get a win? Could he? I mean, you get you got Mississippi at Mississippi State at Texas A and M. I feel like two of those games are losable. The Texas game, I think, is losable. The LSU game, I think, is losable. At Auburn's always a coin flip, even when Auburn sucks. And this year, they do. They suck. But <laughs> that, that always feels like a game you could lose, just with the nature mm-hmm. of the Iron Bowl. We've seen good Bama teams go against bad Auburn teams and struggle deep into games. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, last year, Auburn should have covered and didn't. I, like. Nine and three is a bit much. Ten and a half is tough. I'd lean under, but I don't know if I have a play. I think I would go with the under. 
10 and a half. Like if I think they can only win nine games, like it, it's, it feels pretty clear cut for an under yeah, for me. So it's fair. I would, I would go, go that way. All right. Now getting into to fully with LSU, the, the knock on Brian Kelly was he could never really win the big one. Right. I think he took a huge step in year one. I don't think anybody, even with Brian Kelly coming in there and having that coaching change, anybody could have expected them to go out and win their division and, and overtake Bama inside the division there. I don't think anybody could have expected that in year one. He went out and did that. Now, I, the thing with, with LSU that I'm really intrigued and, and I think I'm pretty optimistic about from an LSU standpoint is this is now Brian Kelly playing the game that he couldn't play at Notre Dame because of the, the, academic restrictions and how difficult it could be at times to get guys into Notre Dame. You get to pick from whoever now, if you're Brian Kelly and LSU is starting to get like year two and year three and year four, like these next three seasons of LSU football, I think we're going to see a pretty dominant stretch out of the Tigers. Could we realistically be looking like we've seen the shift already in the conference where Georgia's now the power and Alabama's the second, like that also ran, but second place team. I'm wondering if we could start to see a shift in the West where LSU becomes that power and Alabama stunningly. I mean, next year it'd be surprising to see them roll out a team at this level again, but LSU is not slowing down, and this year they're as good as ever. Preseason top 10 could win all of the games on their schedule. They duck Georgia, no crossover there. Like, could we be seeing kind of a sea change in the SEC West where LSU becomes that team? I think it's certainly plausible. Like, right now, when you look at – like, Brian Kelly seemed like someone who always sort of adopted – some of these changing things with the transfer portal that that was sort of like the Notre Dame mentality. It felt like there it was adapt, adapt, adapt. I've always had to adapt my entire life at Notre Dame because I had to play on a different playing field in terms of getting kids into the school. So those guys, I feel like are a little more apt to do some of that stuff. And like, we can make fun of him. He He's a, he, he I mean, I think he kind of showed his true colors when he up and left Notre yeah. Dame the way he did. But listen, I think this is the best possible situation for him to be at a school like LSU where he can kind of play the game he wants to play. And it would not shock me if over the next three seasons, we see LS three to five seasons, we see LSU become the class of the conference. And you look at the talent that went out the door, like not a lot of it. Malik Neighbors is back. You've got a great tight end at Mason Taylor. Uh, you've lost a lot of the secondary, especially at the cornerback position. But the transfers you brought in, Zai Alexander out of FCS AA, probably more talented than one of the guys you lost. It just feels like this is a team that's getting better and better and better, has a legitimate guy instead of a caricature that was Ed Orgeron. You've got Brian Kelly, who Mm -hmm. you mentioned, weird dude, easy to make fun of, probably not a great guy but can coach a college football team and recruit at a high level. I feel like he's building a championship-level program. If you gave me to win the West, LSU or Alabama, I would go LSU. So win total on the Tigers, nine and a half. Feels like over. if you think they can win, that's an easy over, and I'm with you. Over. I mean, the bit, now here's the wild card. You open the season with a non-conference neutral site game against Florida State. And Florida State, we'll do our ACC preview, I think, next week. Florida State is really good. 
Florida State is national to, title good. Yeah, they're back to the the caliber of Florida State that we saw in like the early 2010s. So mark your calendar, September 3rd. It's a Sunday, one of those weird Labor Day weekend, long I love weekend, that game, by the extra way. day game, uh, neutral site in Orlando. The Sunday game is great. It's and, great. It, and then get, the Labor Day game yeah, might be it's even fantastic. better. <laughs> but the the Sunday night LSU Florida State. I mean, if you need the NFL before the NFL, that's it. Because this is two teams that could contend for a national title first week of the season, non conference game. That's as good as it gets. That's as good as college football gets when you play the neutral site game to start the year between two teams that feasibly could win national titles. Yeah. All right. Let's move along here. Let's go to Tennessee. And this was the pop-up team last year, the surprise of the SEC last year. They were in the college football playoff mix for a little bit. Very good season for Josh Heupel and company. And you look, though, at what's kind of departing here. You lose your quarterback, Hendon Hooker. You lose Jalen Hyatt, who was one of those guys who put up monster stats in those monster games for Hooker. And once he... I'm intrigued to see what this looks like now with Josh Heupel in, in this next iteration of Tennessee. Like we always talk about is Texas back is Tennessee back? Like, is this a program that's now built for sustained success? Uh, no, I want to say no. Um, Joe Milton, it feels like has been there for 10 years. Mm-hmm. He's got a cannon, but not a lot else. Uh, you've got bring back Brew McCoy. Who's an elite wide receiver in college football. But the defense that was terrible last year got gutted. And you bring back seven starters, but you lost some of your best players on a defense that stunk. I don't think the defense is going to be a lot better. The offense will always be an electric factory. Hypo loves super vertical offenses. You've got Brew McCoy. you got a quarterback who can sling it around. Um, I just don't. I don't feel like they can repeat the magic. Like, I don't think that they can go on the road to Tuscaloosa and beat Bama again. I don't think that they can beat Georgia, who blasted them last year. And I know that game got close in the fourth quarter, but it never felt like it was close. Uh, At Florida, maybe a little bit of a resurgent cater team. I don't know that you're acing out. At Kentucky is a tough game. Like, I just... 11-2, 11-2, and two, a little bit magical. The big comeback late against Bama, the made field goal. I don't know if all of those things break their way again, and they lost so much. When you lose your leading wide receiver and a guy who was a Heisman-caliber quarterback in Henton Hooker, I don't feel like you can just run it back with Joe Milton, who's been there a million years. It's not like you're bringing in some highly recruited kid right. that's lighting the world on fire. It's a guy who we've kind of seen – and kind of careless with the football. Interceptions have been a problem. Fumbles have been an issue. I don't know that this is a team that runs it back. Um, like that That's always the big thing with me in college football in general is, are you bringing your quarterback back? And that's where I see you build sustained success. And when you don't bring back – and remember, like Hendon Hooker was a fifth-year guy, to, or fifth or sixth-year guy. Like he was there for a long time. He had had a lot of time in college football, and that to me is kind of uh, makes makes me feel a little bit weary about what the what it's going to look like. And listen, Milton's been there a long time. He also spent a little bit of time at, at Michigan as well. Like he he's a tenured player in college football, but.
but he's not someone who's had a lot of success or even really a ton of experience either. And that kind of worries me a little bit if, if I'm a Tennessee fan. Here's the thing, though, because Joe Milton have like the Max Duggan season where could have transferred, had a lot of opportunities to go through an open door. They took the gig from you. You chose to stay in Tennessee. Could he have that like Max Duggan TCU? I stuck around and, and wanted to get this done here. I didn't leave. Maybe. I, he's got a ton of experience. He's got a strong arm. Like, I could see it. I just, it feels like so many things have to go their way. Yeah. And, and like, the def- like you're going to play in a lot of those shootouts next year once again. And, and if you can't win the the 50 to 45 game, like, at that point, what what's it worth? Like, you're just going to be in a lot of very entertaining football games, but it may, it may, water might find a little bit of its level next uh next season all right texas a&m let's move on to jimbo fisher's squad because he may have the hottest seat in all of college football right now easily the most disappointing team in the sport last year after they began as a preseason top 10 team and finished at five and seven so who is the the panacea the guy that you bring in to cure all these these ills that you have Bobby Petrino is your new offensive play caller down in College Station. So you got Jimbo, you've got Petrino, and you just kind of have to figure out what this team looks like. You're losing a little bit, but this was a team that, again, had top 10 potential last year. That's where they were slotted preseason. But you just saw, I think, you start to lose a little bit early in the season, and then it felt like guys just sort of checked out. Well, that does happen, too, in college football. You lose a couple games you shouldn't early. You think about the Appalachian State loss, and you just kind of can't get over it. You can't get back. I remember like a couple years ago, not a couple, but maybe 10 now, there was a USC team, top five preseason, felt like they were as good as anybody, and they started the year in Arlington against Bama. And Bama cut their head off. Won by like 30 points. USC goes back, loses another game they shouldn't, struggles through one. But by the end of the season, they're as good as anybody in the sport and maybe should have been a playoff contender. Like I think a little bit of that happened to AM, where they got their head taken off early, surprise losses, and it took them a while to get going. This is a team that had top five, preseason top five was put on them. They're returning 20 starters. It's Jimbo Fisher coaching for his life. I got to tell you, I'm all in. This is is an A&M team. When you go down the the schedule at Tennessee is about as difficult as it gets end of the year at LSU. I kind of like it. I think they can win against Alabama at home. They'll have a shot. If they can stay healthy, I don't see why this is similar to LSU – this AM team that's been bought and paid for, recruited at an insanely high level, brings back 20 starters, has boatload of talent. Why can't they be one of the best teams in the country like they're supposed to be with a softer start to the season? New Mexico at Miami, which, by the way, NIL game of the year. Miami and <laughs> the Texas bag A&M, drop hole. That's what that is. The NIL game of the century, maybe. You, you, yeah, I, I think that... When in in the sport of college football, where slipping up once hurts you a lot, but you slip up twice, especially early, you're dead, and it pretty much kills your season. Like they're a five and seven team last year, but I don't know. Like, sure, they play like a five and seven team, 
but the personnel wasn't five and seven. You start to drop a few games early on, especially games that like App State that kind of kill your season. When you have those losses on your resume at that point, like the season's over. No one cares about playing in the the Tax Slayer Bowl, right? Right. So once you get to that point, and especially now where we see it more and more and more, where guys will once once they're like they don't play in bowl games. Sometimes they even uh, dip out of college early just to get ready for the NFL draft. Like that's just the new reality of what the sport is. So if you're all in it on A and M, like could Bama be third? Third Honestly, in the West? I think it's not unrealistic. And this is an AM team that I think is flying miles under the radar because of how off the rails last season went. People aren't giving them the respect that they really deserve. A AM, a bit like Florida State to me, where all the pieces are there now. Every unit looks really good. The difference is everybody knows that with Florida State, Jordan Travis, and all the pieces that they have. I feel like AM. Similar level of team, and nobody's talking about them. This is a team that could be a national title contender in like a dark horse perfect situation. If they could beat LSU, I, dude, I, I think this AM team's awesome. All right, let's kind of quick hit through the rest of the teams in the SEC. Let's start with Ole Miss. Um, team that started hot last year, kind of died down the stretch, finished the year one and five. Um, after a seven and zero start, but Lane Kiffin, he has done his transfer to the SIP um, that has landed him Spencer Sanders and Walker Howard as a part of a quarterback battle with Jackson Dart. Um, I kind of liked Spencer Sanders when he was at Oklahoma State. Yeah. He, like he he could have some big games for you. I feel like he may end up being the guy that goes out and wins this quarterback battle. I actually like Jackson Dart, and here's why: it's a personal vendetta against Spencer Sanders. <laughs> Spencer Sanders, if you see fourth quarter late and the game is tight and you need to chase to get back into it, Spencer Sanders is a walking clutch time interception. It's like uh, unlike anything I've ever seen. If it's late, you remember last year against TCU, he mm -hmm. did it twice. He, mm -hmm. he is like the automatic, I'm going to give you this game quarterback. I can't stand it. I think Spencer Sanders is there maybe as a bit of a mentor. I like Jackson Dart. You know what you're getting with Lane Kiffin. He wants to fly, play fast. They're going to score a lot of points. Defense might be a bit of a problem. Bring back seven starters. I think they're a good team. I think the top three in the West are so good that Mississippi becomes a bit of an also-ran. But, look, don't sleep on them now. Like, what's the win total? Uh, win total on Mississippi is seven and a half. That's like perfect because I feel like they're an eight win team. And I don't know if I put a bet on the over, but I like eight and five last year. Uh, they pulled Georgia in the crossover game, which is just brutal. Uh, you got to go on the road to Tuscaloosa. You play LSU, you play AM. I feel like it's an eight win team, eight and four. Through the regular season, you lose the games you should, you win the games you should, and you go play some mediocre bowl and bomb some middle-of-the-road Big Ten team. All right, Arkansas kind of feels like Tennessee light. They can put up points, but they're not going to stop anybody. I kind of like K.J. Jefferson. He dealt with some injuries last year, but um, he's shown potential that he can, he can win you some games at times. Yeah, he's another guy who feels like he's been at this school for 100 years, too. Was a what did he start? Twenty nineteen, true freshman. 
He's, so he gets the COVID year and all that. So yeah, he's 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 seen some things. Uh, I, you know, Wu Pig Sue, we felt like last year was the time. It, it felt like last year was the year where they could come out and be a big surprise, and they would have been a contender. But I, I feel like that time's gone. KJ Jefferson, I like, but they're only bringing back four starters on the offense. I'm almost surprised KJ Jefferson didn't transfer. I am too, because he's the only guy sticking around. You talk about an offensive line that's returning nobody except their left guard and center. Raheem Sanders is back, but he's got nobody who caught passes from him last year, KJ Jefferson. The defense only brings back six starters. It's Sam Pittman's been there forever. I think he's doing a nice job, but needs a couple more years to get like a true stud quarterback and build a team. This feels. This feels like a true rebuilding year where like everything's kind of new. You're piecemealing some stuff. You're not on the level of the best teams in the conference. I'm not super high on Arkansas. It's like five, six wins maybe. Mississippi State, a fun team to to bet unders for last year um, throughout the season. Good defense, but the offense just kind of couldn't keep up. Yeah, I think it's going to be a lot of the same, to be honest with you. Like, the offense is still going through Will Rogers, who, quite frankly, I've seen enough. Like, Will Rogers is one of those guys that might be like a seventh-round pick or an undrafted free agent for some NFL team, run a practice squad, end up on your immaculate grid one day way down the line. You'll be real. You'll be the smartest kid ever. I'm just so sick of seeing Will Rogers. Junior year now. Uh, I don't have a ton of thoughts on Mississippi State. The defense was good last year, but they only bring back four starters. Offensively, I just don't know how they break through. Second year with the head coach, Zach Arnett. I, I don't think they're anything special. Can they compete in games, be kind of a pain in the ass, cover some plus lines? Maybe. but The defense I, I will usually help great. you with that. Yeah, with the covering as the dog there. But yeah, um, Mississippi State is just one of those mindless teams. For me, where it's like I'm with you, like there's just not a whole heck. Of, it's like them; they may be like my most thoughtless team. Well, and here's the, the other SEC. thing. And I was trying to figure out why am I drawing such a blank on Mississippi State? Like, why can't I figure? And the reason is because their coach died, and like he yeah. was the program. Yeah, the program was Mike Leach, and they just when when that it's sad. But it happened, and like Mike Leach passes on, it, this program feels rudderless. It feels a little directionless. Yeah. It feels kind of thoughtless. Like you said, Will Rogers back. I, I'm surprised maybe even that he didn't transfer with the change in what this program is. They dedicated the bowl game to Leach, but this whole season, it just it's a tall task, man. You got to rebuild a team without a coach. I I don't know. Like, what's the win total on Mississippi State? Nine and four last year was a positive season, but I wouldn't be surprised if they're we're talking about this team as like a five, four, five win team. Six and a half. Yeah, I'd probably lean under because it just not having a coach changes everything in a sport like this. Auburn, not going to be a great team this year, but it's certainly going to be entertaining because of Hugh Freeze. Like this is like your e news team of the SEC. Um, they Football will be guy. they will be tracked like they are the Dallas Cowboys because of who the head coach is. He's coming over, um, and you just think about what and, and he's been part of the SEC and all that before. This is kind of the perfect situation for him. Name brand program. 
you're Hugh Freeze. Um, you're coming over from Liberty, and this is kind of the the next step in your kind of uh, revamping of your your public image here. Let me ask you something. Over under one and a half years, Hugh Freeze. I think at, well over at Auburn. I think well over. This school, Tyler, is addicted to hiring coaches that have off-field issues or controversy in some way and need a rebuilt public image. We got Brian Harson being walked out like he's a like a federal <laughs> informant into the back of a blacked-out SUV and then fired three weeks into a season. Like this is the problem with Auburn is not whether Hugh Freeze can get the gig. It's one, can he keep the image squeaky clean? And two. Will Auburn stand behind him if he doesn't? Because this is a booster base that has shown they have zero tolerance for any funny business. And I got to tell you, like, I don't, it feels like if everything goes right, it could work. But this isn't a team that's built to be great. It's a team that's probably going to be quite bad this season. Robbie Ashford, the sophomore quarterback, not a ton of experience, not a super talented team. Like, if they play to their full potential, do they get six or seven wins maybe? No, I don't think so. I think the, the first year is always is always tough. Um for a head even if it is someone with a name brand like like Hugh Freeze, but um Hugh Freeze I would, and Cadillac Williams is the head coaching pairing. I mean, that's just <laughs> <laughs> and the, the good news is at least everybody's behind them right now. The question mm-hmm. for me is if Can you stay anything, out of your own way, stay out of your own way, anything goes sideways. This is a school with a booster base that has shown they will fire you into the sun. Yeah. All right. Let's uh, these last couple of teams here in the SEC, largely boring. I would say um, Kentucky, you get in rock fights with them. But if boy, if your offense is clicking that day, the Wildcats stand no chance against you, but they are bringing in Devin Leary to try to bolster their quarterback room after Will Levis has gone on to the NFL draft. You do have some good receivers on this Kentucky team. It's now a matter of can you develop that chemistry with a new quarterback coming in there? Do you think Devin Leary is an upgrade? I wasn't like NC State, he was good, but I wasn't a huge fan. Um, He dealt with injuries at NC State. I, I feel like NC State was the perfect situation for him. Like, I don't know if he's SEC ready, but he's ACC good. I just don't know if he's SEC good. Kentucky just, it's cool to see that the football program is growing a little bit, but Mark Stoops has been Much there. Much to forever. Cal's chagrin. Right. Mark Stoops has been there forever, and it just, you're never going to break into the Tennessee and Georgia. You're always just going to be Kentucky. Yeah. I don't have huge thoughts here. Seven and six a year ago, I don't think they're that much better. Probably maybe get to eight games. Uh, you start the schedule easy with Ball State, Eastern Kentucky, Akron, and Vandy, the pathetic, rancid program that is Vanderbilt. Uh, I, but the rest of it's tough. Georgia, Tennessee, you got to play Bama in the crossover. It's a brutal season. Could they get to eight wins? Maybe. Will they play in a bowl? Yeah, but like I don't. They're not in special. The SEC to me is the four teams we talked about the most: Georgia. A&M, LSU, and Bama. Yeah, I'm, I'm with you there. All right, South Carolina, Spencer Rattler, another year with him. <laughs> and, and here's a name for Chicago people. The new play caller of your South Carolina Gamecocks is Dow Loggins, uh, a former uh, offensive coach with the Chicago Bears. So 
You've got Dow Loggins. You've got Spencer Rattler there. Talk about a guy who has not lived up to the promise that he was supposed to have as a college quarterback. Got benched at Oklahoma, transfers to South Carolina. Um, and this is a team that uh, just largely, I mean, I've got uh, I've got very low expectations of South Carolina. Sure, maybe they pop up in a game or two like they did last year, but overall, not not really looking for much. Honestly, I wonder if they're this year's Tennessee. Oh. Xavier Leggett's a good player, good receiver. Spencer Rattler surprised people not going to the league. I wonder if they're this year's Tennessee, where defense might be a struggle, but the offense could be really good. And the only thing holding them back is you got to play Clemson in a rivalry game, and you got to be in the same division as Georgia. Right. I dude, I like you're kind of in on South Carolina. What's the win total at South Carolina? Because Shane Beamer, too, like head coach there. Past two seasons, everybody's been like, this team stinks. Last year, everybody said this team stinks. Spencer Rattler sucks. Both seasons wildly overperform. Eight and five a year ago. You bring back the quarterback. You bring back one of the top wide receivers. Two of the top pass catchers. Six and a half, I'm easy over. Like this, I'm not going to tell you they could win 11 games, but could they be a nine, 10 win team? Yeah, nine or 10 wins, and maybe you get a New Year's Six Bowl, a peak. I could see it. I wonder if this is this year's Tennessee. I'm interested in South Carolina. Now, going three for three and outperforming your expectations, a tough task. But Shane Beamer, unafraid, man. He's a good coach. All right, on to Florida. You lose Anthony Richardson. You bring in Graham Mertz as the replacement there. Did yep. I see this? Is he wearing 15? Uh, yes. Yeah. that correctly? He's wearing yeah. 15. So what do you do? You give him Tebow's number. Listen, he's going to be getting booed in a way Tebow never did in Florida very, very quickly. Uh, This team, I think, stinks. At Utah is brutal. Open the season, you got to go to the Rockies. Uh, It's kind of the reverse of what we saw last year where, humble brag, I was dead on on that game. Utah going to the swamp. Utah was a way better team, but it's like 110 degrees on field level. You go to the swamp. First week of October. Now you got to, if you're Florida, you're going into the Rockies, into Utah, August 31st on a Thursday night to start the year. I think they get their heads taken off by a much better Utah team. I, I Billy Napier might be a two year coach here. Like I, bringing in Graham Mertz, that's your transfer acquisition. Yeah. This offense is going to be brutal. Big 10 fans know you've seen enough of this guy at Wisconsin. Yeah. Enough. Yeah. Mm hmm. Um, on to Mizzou, where the Tigers, they're, they're kind of falling the, the Mississippi State category to me. Mindless, thoughtless, like they're just, uh, it's kind of like a, why are you here? Why are you here? If their coach, Elijah Drinkwitz, good coach. It's, I shouldn't say good coach. He's Didn't never you had, off on him? Yeah, because he's getting, he's, I forgot about that. He's getting paid a ton and talked about, <laughs> it's ridiculous that his, yeah, dude, he gets paid something like three and a half million dollars and talked about how insane it is that his football players get paid more than doctors. And like you get paid what you get paid, Drinkwitz, you've never had a winning season. So here's what I'll say for Mizzou, because I don't have a ton of thoughts here either. You're bringing back seven starters on offense, eight on defense. It's the most talented team you've ever had under this head coach. If you can't get him to drag your ass to six or seven wins, launch him out of a cannon. Guys put his foot in his mouth, can't win games. I don't know why I call him a good coach. That was like a compliment I shouldn't have paid because he's not. 
Like, if this team doesn't get to a bowl, fire this guy into the sun. Right. They have to. They got to get to a bowl. I, what's the win total? I'm curious now. Mizzou on the win total Six and is, a half. They are at a six and a half. You're right on the money there. Put me on the over, and I'm going to invoice Eli Drinkwitz if they don't win seven games. Put it. <laughs> put it. me on You're the over. You're one of those guys. You're a Venmo the players guy. Put me on the over, and I'm Venmo requesting the coach on the day that he gets fired if they don't <laughs> win seven games. Well, the buyout will, I'm sure, be still pretty nice there where he can accommodate your request. Do, Lastly, do we have to talk about Vandy? The, to- the win total is three and a half. Can I just do say we got to talk about this team? I think Clark Lee's a good coach who – idiotically went to a bad situation he went to he he saw sec and jumped i think he's a good coach who just went to a bad spot he should have maybe tried to to feel things out a little bit more group of five or maybe go anywhere but the power or but the sec in the power five i think he can be a good coach he's just in the wrong spot like vandy last year or two years ago, 0-8 in the SEC. They play this unbelievably difficult schedule for a school that probably should be playing a group of five conference. It's just, you're right. It's a terrible situation. He's not doing a terrible job building this team. He could win some of the non-conference games, like Hawaii, the the classic Vanderbilt-Hawaii week zero. zero. Hawaii. I always love that. Um mm-hmm. Maybe they get the over three and a half, but I just don't care. Like, I'm not going to spend my Saturdays watching Vanderbilt at UNLV. I'm not going to watch you get punked in Wake Forest. I, I'm not going to watch you go to the swamp and get your head kicked in by Billy Napier. Like, I just don't care. This is one of those people talk about it with uh, Rutgers in Maryland. This is the real one. This is, I get Vanderbilt, SEC, Nashville, all of it. This is the one where they're just in the wrong conference. Yeah, they should be an ACC school. Simple as that. They should be an AAC school. (laughs) All right, that is going to do it for our SEC preview. You signed us up for the ACC next week, so we will break down the Atlantic Coast Conference. Listen, you want to do Big 12? We can do Big 12. No, I'm... I'm an ACC guy, Shay. Of course I want to do the ACC next week. Got to talk a we little will, Syracuse for you. We will talk ACC football next week here on the show. Thanks so much for listening. Be, be sure to subscribe if you're not already, and we will, before you know it, be on the airwaves, ESPN 1000, talking all things college football, breaking down the games as they're happening. Believe it or not, we are less than five weeks away now, so cannot wait for that. Next week, ACC preview. We'll talk to you then.